Uh, we're doing another week of This Is Us. It's talking about who we are as a church. It was, we extended it another week because it just seemed fitting uh, that we have Family Sunday and we're all here together. And this is who we are. We, are uh, we recognize the uniqueness of how many kids we have in our church. And it's awesome to have them come alongside of us. And we can do this together. And it's not that they're, we want to, when I come into a church, it's not just inviting, just coming to a place on Sunday. It's me inviting you into, like, my life. Um, and I realize that you have a hand in helping me raise my children. And so this is the beauty of church, coming together, realizing that we all have a hand together in this. We're all, we're all family. So before I start, kids, I usually sometimes I have an object lesson. It's pretty awesome. I've brought Lego out. You haven't been here for that. I have brought a blender out once, too. Um, made it a not attractive smoothie. Nobody drank it, so nobody passed away. Um, one time I brought Gavin out, and he, he kept me on my toes. Uh, this time, I'm going to ask Malachi, can you come up here? I'm going to have a quick object lesson before I get into my sermon. This is Malachi. He is our son. He's the oldest. Um, I think he's ready for this. We'll see. He's nervous. It's okay. Um, before we start... I need, I need maybe one person to help me. Malachi, can you put your arms out like this? I'm going to see if I can do this without somebody. They're wondering, what am I doing here? <laughs> I know. He doesn't know either. I so know. He knows. <laughs> I'm just tying this on him. This is what he's going to wear for the rest of the day. Little does he know. And then on the other hand, this isn't a representation of the cross. Don't worry. <laughs> this is just a simple object lesson. Is it hurt? Oh, good. Um, so now that he's up here, you want to stand here, right here. This looks good. How's you feel? Does it feel good? It hurts. It hurts. All right. While you're standing there, I just want to do one quick thing. As your father-in-law. <laughs> uh, not your father-in-law, but as your father. All right, now that I got it out of my system. Okay, so obviously, can you, can you bend down and touch your toes? <laughs> Almost. Can you jump? You can still jump. We still got some movement going on here. Can you be tickled? Yes, you can. <laughs> okay, now that you're standing here, I need you to do one thing for me. There's this water bottle right here. I need you to, can you grab it and take a drink? Did you get any water? No, well, why can't you get any water? Can you try this with your hands? No, 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 no. You're smart. Got it from your mama. Do you need some help? Yeah. Oh, you want me to help you? Okay. Do you trust me? No. Okay. Everybody have a drink. Have a drink. There we go. So, what do you, you need in my help, right? You need somebody to help come alongside you and help you here. All right, that's it. You know what? That's not it. Let's keep this on. No. That's kidding. I don't know if I can get this off now. Get it there off, we go. <laughs> so, kids and congregation, the reality is he needed he needed help. He needed somebody to come alongside to 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 serve to and to help him along, get a drink of water cuz obviously <laughs> All right, we get sit down. <laughs> okay. All right. 
thing. Yes, give him a round of applause. This isn't all our normal Sundays. We don't normally have Nerf battles. You can go sit down. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> I want to start by reading a scripture here, and we're going to walk through it a bit as I go through it. Uh, we're going to turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 35 to 45. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. We'll have it up on the screen here. And so it says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Pretty uh, bold statement. We go on to the next verse. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. Jesus asked. And turn to the next one. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. In the section just before this, Jesus had laid out to his disciples that for the third time, not just the first time, the second time, but the third time he's laid out to them, just before uh, verse 35, that he was going to die. And so it's like, he said it three times. It wasn't just like, I'm going to die. He was pretty like, I'll be mocked. I'll be spit on. He's like, I will be uh, flogged and they'll kill him. It's pretty obvious what's going to happen. Sometimes I have to repeat things to my kids three times. <laughs> By the third time, I hope they get it. <sighs> and it's not like you sound like the disciples, hey, pick up your clothes. He's like, I'm going to die. He's like, they are going to mock, me, him, mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. So we see at the beginning of this section, when we started, that James and John... And the, these two were close with Jesus. They were really close with him. They would went up to him to the, uh, to the transfiguration. They were with him in the garden of Gethsemane. And so they were close. They were part of that. There was disciples, but there was two or three that were really close with him. And the question starts with a very, very forward beginning. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, if my kids asked me that, I'd be like, what do you mean, whatever you ask? Well, but I want to hear it out just to entertain them. Like, okay, what are you going to say? Dad, I need $100. Okay, that's funny. Um, and then we'd laugh, but they wouldn't be laughing. It would just be me. And can you imagine, like, Jesus, he answers them. It's almost like amusingly he asks them. He's like, like what, do you, what do you want me to do for you? Like, well, what, do you, what do you want me to do for you? I want to hear this. And it's a great reply that Jesus says this, like, what do you want to do for me? Because in the verses leading up to this, or after this, we see that they're on their way, and they come across blind Bartimaeus, and Bartimaeus comes up and asks Jesus, like, or Bartimaeus, Jesus asks Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? So Bartimaeus, who's blind, Jesus sees him, he comes up to him, he's like, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus wants to see, and Jesus heals him. Bartimaeus' restored vision contrasts dramatically with the unseeing eyes of the disciples who had just had been following him all along. Isn't that amazing to see? It's almost like Jesus was almost making a point. The healing had two full purposes. First, God, Jesus heals Bartimaeus, and his life is transformed. And he follows Jesus. And the second is, it's like Jesus saying to the disciples, you need to open your eyes. 
You do not understand what is going to happen. Because as we continue through this section, we see James and John ask Jesus to sit on his, at his right hand and the other his left in glory. They want, they want seats with Jesus. They're going to... They're going in and they're like, we want, to, we, want to be by, we want to be Jesus' right and left hand man. Because in that time and place, people usually reclined in the spot around a low table to eat at banquets or feasts. When James and John request to sit at Jesus' right and left hands in his glory, they're imagining Jesus as a king sitting at the table as the chief, as his, with his chief advisors at his right and left hands. They're thinking, we are going in now. And we're going to be rulers. James and John have not only failed to hear Jesus' prediction of his upcoming death, but they regard this journey to Jerusalem that they're, they're going to as a messianic march on the city to restore its former Davidic glory so that Jesus might assume the Davidic throne. They think, this is our time now. We're going in. And I want to be at Jesus' right and left hand, part of his royalty, part of his chief advisors. They thought Jesus would establish an earthly kingdom that would free Israel from, for, from Rome's oppression. James and John wanted to be in honored places. They wanted to be right there with him. It would be difficult for us to understand how James and John could fail to hear Jesus' clear prediction of his death. Like, we're like how can they not hear this? How, how are they not getting this? Then sometimes I think of myself, though. And do I always hear and listen to his words clearly? Let's continue on. On to the next verse. It says, You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptized I'm about to be baptized with? Next verse. We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with. Or you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. On to the next one. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And so he asked them, do you think you can do that? And they're like, we can. And then he says, you will. He's so good to his disciples answering these crazy questions. The cup of wine was a metaphor for the wrath of God's judgment upon human sin and rebellion and baptism, the death of man. They're like, have you not seen us drink before? Jesus like, we can drink from a cup. That's no biggie. But Jesus responds, you are right. You will drink of the cup and be baptized with the baptized I am baptized with. This is like a prophetic statement because little did they know, little did those two know that James who die as a martyr. And John suffered for the gospel, gospel by being exiled. Let's go on. Verse 41 says, When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. They're like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where you guys are going to be sitting? At the right and the left? We want part of this action. On to the next verse. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Next verse. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Next verse. 
And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. And to the last one. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. As usual, Jesus turns the world, our world upside down as he introduces the rules of the road for the kingdom of God. Kingdom rules are altogether different from the rules of the world. Just the opposite, in fact. Those who live by the rules of this world honor power, even though powerful rulers are often selfish, petty tyrants who treat their subjects badly. In the kingdom of God, honors will go to those who serve. Jesus tell him, tells him the greatest, true greatness comes in serving others. That actually, his ministry wasn't about having this authority at sitting on the throne, like at an earthly throne, and like ruling over people in the earthly sense, but it was a heavenly sense. And we see what Jesus talks about with James and John throughout the New Testament. He talks about serving. He, Jesus came to serve. And that is actually what we are called to do. There's a section of scripture that always stands out to me, and it's in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. And we can turn there, or it's going to pop up here also. And it says, In those days when the number of disciples were, was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Next verse. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Continue on. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Continue on. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And then it finishes. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And we see this starts with the Grecian Jews complain because their widows are getting overlooked in the daily distribution of food in comparison to the Hebraic Jews. So the disciples, they get together, and they're like, we need someone to wait on tables. We need somebody to help this. We are doing too much. We, we want to continue spreading the word. We want to continue in prayer, but we need, we need help. And so they pick six people to essentially look after tables, to essentially help in the distribution of food. Glorified waiters. And one of these people are Philip. And now Philip, he waits on tables. I'm sure he has a gift. He's called. And maybe when the disciples came up, he thought, this is it. I'm being sent. I'm going out. But he wasn't. What mattered most was that his heart was in the right place. He's called to come and serve, to come, to do this, to fulfill this part of the ministry. A couple chapters later, the, the church is scattered. And he goes to Samaria, Philip, and preaches the gospel. And many are saved in scripture through Philip. And he is the only one specifically called an evangelist. Obviously, a man being gifted by God, but called to simply serve. Not too big for him to serve, to wait on tables, to help with the distribution of food. 
This was a need in the church, and the need was met. This was a need that he saw. That he's like, yeah, I'll do it. Jesus came, he served. This is, we want to be like him. And these type of stories, they're riddled through the New Testament. In 1 Peter 4, verses 10 to 11, it says, As as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our Father, he thinks all of his children are extremely, extremely gifted. God is convinced he did an amazing job in creating each and every one of us. And has supernaturally empowered us to do what he wants us to do. His desire to see all of his kids, all of us, to serve in the fullness of the potential he's put inside of us. Philippians 2, verses 1 to 8. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Three out of the four chapters in Philippians, starting from two all the way to the end of the chapter four, it's completely dedicated to serving one another. Church is about coming, and this is what we love, coming in here and receiving the word of God, seeing our family, seeing our children, seeing us worship together, giving it all to God. But it cannot be what it's solely about. By simply receiving, we will not find fulfillment. Because it even says next, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And in giving, we become more like Jesus. And when we become more like Jesus, we find fulfillment. And I began to think of how church has, has affected my life. How, how coming here since I can't remember, not this place obviously, but when I grew up in Pittsburgh, has it greatly transformed who I am and all the stories. I remember Mr. and Mrs. Studetic. Mr. Studetic was a big man. He had big hands. I just always remember, like, oh, that's, that's like, those are sausages. Like, and... <laughs> And like, how does he, how does he, like, button up his shirt? I was, like, really just amazed by how big his hands were. And so he's jamming on the keyboard, this big man. And in our church, we'd, all the kids would come together. We had worship to, uh, together as children. He was just giving it, just excited for the Lord. And he'd always have a crazy experiment that he had with us, to do with us. I remember one time he was talking just about um, Africa and he, it's like, this is how they make a soccer ball in Africa. So they got a rock, and then they got cloth, and they would wrap it. And I think they had some threads, and they would wrap the thread with the cloth, and they wrapped some more cloth. And essentially, we made a soccer ball like they would in Africa, and we played soccer. I can remember my teacher's names, Mr. and Mrs. Samuels, Mr. Burke, Mr. Kozar. 
there was this one lesson they taught us about how Jesus came to wash away our sins. And I'll never forget it. Then I remember this one time, the church was going on a mission trip, and they made these evangelism bracelets. I'm not sure if you've ever seen them. I have a picture on here. Do you remember seeing these? Kind of what they stood for. And then if we go to the next slide, there's kind of what each of those stood for. The knot, God planned you. Black sin, and it, red, Christ's blood, white, forgiven, blue, baptism, green, growth, not, no separation, gold, eternal life. So you had this story that you can tell when you met people. And I can remember just sitting there making these bracelets with all the youth and just remembering the story of Christ in my mind and my heart. Then this one Sunday, I remember we were really big on missions. And so this one couple came in. They were missionaries somewhere in Asia. And they taught us this song. I don't remember like what it actually means in American language. But I can sing the song in whatever language this is. I'm going to sing it. If you know this language, what I'm saying, please tell me after. Um, it's time a shoo, time a shashaming, time a shoo, time a shashaming. And they weren't just telling us to tie our shoes. Like it was a legit song. And it was, then we went up into the church and we sang this song together as our group. Then I can remember growing up into, as a teenager and teenage Jeremy was something to behold. But people willingly came alongside me in the church and uh, volunteered their time in youth. And they actually gave me the opportunity to speak. And I can remember actually a message from one of our youth workers that really transformed my life. His name was Paul Brewer. And he asked, we're going to get out of the boat. Are you guys going to get out of the boat? And I was like, yeah, I think we're going to get out of the boat. Because I've accepted Christ, but was I really having faith in him? And then my sermon, 18-year-old Jeremy, I sure hope he's a better speaker I'm a better speaker now than I was 18 years as 18-year-old Jeremy. But I can remember my first time speaking, and I was talking about how prayer was just our gift that was given to us and as our weapon towards the enemy and how we need to use it. And I was like, when we pray, it's like we are kicking the enemy in a special place. <laughs> I, it's, I don't know. Like 18-year-old Jeremy thought this was good to say. And my dad still reminds me to this day of this sermon that I told to this youth group. But as I reflected on all these moments of all these times, I realized it got me to this moment here on the stage. I wouldn't be here without those people. I wouldn't be the person I am today without those people who dedicated their time to Sunday school, their time to youth ministry. And I began to think of all those people I mentioned and how they weren't paid. They weren't paid at all. Some of them were missionaries, yes. But there was someone who was an architect, Mr. Sudetic. There was one who just taught math in school. There was stay-at-home moms. These are people who greatly impacted my life because they simply just said, yeah, I'll serve. I will serve. And you're probably sitting there and you're thinking of people who impacted your life. Or maybe you're thinking of the impact that you, the kids have had on your life as you've served them. 
These people, they simply said, I want to be like Jesus. I came across this quote from David Platt, and it said, We are most like Jesus when we serve. Have you ever said that prayer? Jesus, let me be more like you. Simply, if we serve, we'll be more like him. I've been reading this book by Francis Chan called Letters to the Church. Francis Chan, he had this massive church. He planted it. It grew just rapidly. First week, 200. The next week, it doubled. And they were just keeping up, and they were just doing church, putting in programs. And he was like, I'm, he's like, church needs to be more relational than it was looking to him. And he said this, and it really caught me. He said, we are called to be a producing church, not a consuming one. He said, we don't need to be a consuming church, but a producing church. Consuming meaning simply we take in, but producing means that we are all involved in making something here. And as we are involved, actually we're transformed. So for the next 10 minutes, what I wanted to do, I'm opening up the mic for some testimony. Testimony is one of my favorite things. To hear what, peop, what God has done in your life, what Christ has done in your life through the church, if you can think of something along those lines, or even if you've just if you've been going through something and God's answered something, I want to hear that too. Or if there, you've served in a capacity and you've been transformed by how, like, just by serving, we want to hear that. Because when we come together and we have the body who participates and they share of what God's doing, it ignites us. It does something in our hearts that's like, that's so good. That's so good. It, it encourages us. It impacts us. It stirs us up. Testimony is all about God using people to draw them closer to him. I would not be where I am today without people committing to be servants to Jesus. Luke 8.39 says this. Hopefully it says this. Yes, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. We want to hear what God has done. I want to hear how God's impacted you through the church or through serving in the church or even just what God's been doing. And it, as Dan's finishing, if, just come on up and grab the mic and just, we just want to hear what God has done through your life through the church or through serving in the church, or even simply what God has been doing in your life? The church as a, uh, a brick-and-mortar foundation um, might have had a part in my life at an early age. Uh, my sister engaged uh, at Circle Square Ranch or Circle K Ranch or some Christian ranch, and uh, she went there, and she got some doom and gloom, and she came home and... Uh, told our whole family that we were all going to hell unless we, uh, unless we were baptized. And, uh, and so we all went and got baptized and we were going to a, a church for a bit. And uh, I remember Sunday school and all these things from that time in my life, but I didn't, uh, I didn't stay networked. I didn't, I, I stayed in faith, I would say, but I didn't stay networked. And then uh, I myself went to a Christian summer camp uh, when I got older, when I got older, sorry, and, uh, and gave my life to the Lord. And, and the reason I'm just touching on these encounters is because the church is, uh, 
is more than than this building. It's more than a, a place that we go to worship God. It's the people that are in it, and and so um, so this camp. I gave my life to the Lord, and then I backslid, and then I gave my life to the Lord and backslid, and uh, and then I would go to youth group on Friday nights and and uh, and be backslid while I was there, and. Uh, when when I really committed my life to the Lord, I'd been through I'd been through a lot, and uh, Steph and I were together. I was about 25 years old, so good 10 years ago, and um, and I was on fire for the Lord, and uh, we we went to this church. Um, it wasn't this church, <laughs> but we went to a church. We were in Maple Ridge. It was in Pitt Meadows, and uh, and the church was Grace Community. And we went there, um, and it was like this church. It was not in a church building, and uh, it was a small church, so you could network and you could you could really engage with people. And and it was a church that you know was producing, not consuming, but it was just full of spirit. And we went there and and it was it was a good service, but I looked at my wife and I said, That was awful. Like the there I I feel like I just met everybody in the church and it's not in a church building and I need to go to a church. I need to go to this thing. And it was because I was so young in my faith. <laughs> and that's why this church here, Willow Park Creekside, is is so at home in my heart because two and a half years and we ended up back at that church and 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 I was set on fire for Christ and I was just I was just burning to know more about him and and to engage in in who he was and to um, be a light to the people around me because because it wasn't in a church building and because because it was about the people I I just had kind of lost that somewhere and um, and then it happened again because my wife and sister-in-law and and all these women were praying for uh, us men um, to be involved in a Bible study. And there was a few guys that were meeting for a Bible study. And I'd, like I said, I came from a bit of a messed up situation and uh, not my family, but just my own choices in life. But anyways, um, I had spoken with one of the guys who led this Bible study and uh, he had shared how one time he had drank a beer and listened to heavy metal and his life had, you know, was in calamity because of that and he gave his life to the Lord. And I thought, like, how am I going to go to a Bible study with this guy? He, he's never even stolen a car or, like, he doesn't, like, what are we going to talk about? And, uh, and then God's like, uh, the Bible? <laughs> so, so that's, that's, why that's that was probably the biggest impact that the church had on my life at that time was was getting networked into a bible study into a small group where and we would go there and people would have like their own little like thoughts on what the bible said and then we would just you would go home and you would seek that out like is this true what this person's telling me or like you know and you just dig in and you get the concordance and all these things and so the church, by extension, through small groups and, and all that, was like a huge impact on my life. 
And if you're not part of that, I encourage you to be part of it. And, um, yeah. Okay. So good. 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 We got that. It's about a group of people coming together, right? Obviously, this person hadn't stole a car, and so, but they could still connect because that's the beauty of Christ, right? Christ connects us all from different paths. Um, I want to share, um, um, Megan and I are engaged and we're getting married on August 15th of 2020. Good. We can come together. We can celebrate. We can celebrate when other people are celebrating. Anyone else? Well, hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for having me at your church today. Uh, I, I do want to profess how great God is. I just finished a year at Adult and Teen Challenge, and I graduated in July. Things. <clears throat> so, so that was really just the beginning. Getting through the program and everything, and, and getting clean and sober, that was the easy part. The the new the part that I needed to submit to was God's renewal of my mind and, uh, and the way I acted and the, the way I react to things when they're, when they're wrong. And he's been doing so amazing things. Uh, I got a job, uh, construction, mission group, downtown. I've been there. I've gone through the probationary period. Everything has been going great. And the company took us to Mexico. And so there I am at a resort, big fancy five diamond resort. And, uh, you know, there's lots of temptations there, you know. Everything was inclusive. And God was with me the whole time. It was so powerful. You know, I just kind of, I, I spent a lot of time by myself and that. And I just kind of just, I saw things going on and I just, you know, I, I spoke life. I was speaking to a lot of Mexicans and um and, and God just opened the door to, to bring up, you know, uh, good words on his behalf. And, uh, and you know, there was so much victory there. And, I, and, and God kept going, you know, I, I've trusted you with a little and, 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 you've, and you've been faithful. Now I'm going to trust you with a lot. And it was so amazing because, you know, I, I felt so filled and so, so happy that I was able to go to this place, enjoy it. And, and not partake in any, like, you know, drinking or, or, or lusting or any of that stuff. So, so it was really amazing. And, and you know what? And now uh, God's, he, I'm about to go on some uh, knee operations. I'm going to have a knee operation on the 6th of uh, this month. And amazingly enough, uh, no surgery in the spring. You know, I got a good job. Uh, I'm, I'm building fellowship. It's, it's not easy stepping away from the old way of life because, uh, you know, that's all I ever knew. But um, now I'm getting to meet a bunch of people in church and fellowship and all that, and, and they're wonderful people, right? But it, it takes time to build that relationship. It's, it's not easy. People don't just accept you like, bam. They say, oh, you've changed your life and all that. No, they're, they're, it's, it's happening uh, daily, and God's showing himself Amazingly enough, he's showing himself even through people that aren't believers. He's prompting them to say positive things towards me to keep on going. And, and amazingly enough, like, God is so good. 
he, he, he's so intricate. He, he uses other people to get to you. He, he just, it, it's, it's just a big thing. And you can't do it just with him. You need to have fellowship. You need to have brethren, um, you know, family. Just speak life into people, encourage them. And I don't know, I just uh, felt that I should come up here today. For God is good. He, he's, he's always after us. And when we can celebrate in growth, right? Graduation, moving on, stepping out into the world a bit more. We celebrate that God is doing something in your life. Amen. Nikki? Hi, everyone. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm Nikki, and I'm one of the youth leaders at this church. Um, volunteering has played a huge role in my life. I grew up from about seven years old till 13. I was raised in the Catholic Church, and I was not a volunteer there, and God did reach me there um, and I, I developed a relationship with him at a young age. From about age 13 till 18, I backslid a whole lot and <laughs> um, kept wanting to go back to my relationship with him and then kept feeling like I didn't know how to get there. I didn't have any Christian friends growing up. Um, I didn't go to youth group. So when we started coming to this church, Jonathan and I had been married for um, about a month. We were 21 years old. and. Not long after, we found out that there was no youth group here and um, that the youth kept getting to a certain age and then they'd have to move to the Highway 33 campus because there was no program here set up. So um, Kelsey and Steve and Jonathan and I decided to start a youth program six years ago. Um, I have no leadership qualifications. I had no leaders in my life to show me what it looked like to be a youth leader. Um, I made enough mistakes in my own life that I didn't know. I hoped that at best God would be able to use those mistakes to help reach the kids so that I could learn from, from those things and help keep them from making those same choices. Um, and I'm so pleased to say that while my greatest hopes were that I would be able to reach the kids, I've actually been transformed through this experience far more than I ever anticipated. And the kids constantly keep me on my toes and they keep me diving deeper into my Bible and they ask hard questions that challenge my own faith and help me to go deeper. So if any of you have ever had a desire to give in any way and you don't feel qualified for it, just remember I'm not either. Um, but God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Amen. We very true what you said like we come to know him the great thing is now we are qualified we have christ within us i can't do this on my own i get nervous every sunday i i still sweat and it's not just because of the lights it, I, it's just because it, i he simply has called me and i'm just simply being obedient and trusting him and he's growing me in the midst of this and so for all of us he's simply just saying hey i've called you to do something you're qualified. I'm in you. And so this isn't like a plug to like, you need to serve. This is just who we are. We are a serving body. We want to be a producing church, not a consuming church. And so it takes all hands on deck.